Good morning. I trust you sensed the presence of the Lord in our midst this morning. I heard the amen of his people again. Thank you for praying for me this past week. Uh, what you see under my eye is not from my wife, contrary to rumors that are going around. I, uh, I fell a couple of times. I, actually, I passed out and then fell. And uh, doing well, and uh, thank you for your prayers for that. As you sense, the uh, theme this morning is the goodness of God. God is good. And we, we say God is good all the time. God is good. We're in the book of Ruth. We're in chapter 3 this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1, the prodigal daughter, Naomi, who left the land of Israel and went into a foreign country where she never would have, should have gone with her husband and uh, the events that happened there. A few weeks ago, we looked at the fields of grace as, they, as Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, came back to Bethlehem. As God was blessing, they met in the fields of grace. And this morning, we're looking at our great Redeemer in chapter 3. And then on November the 5th, we'll get to the last chapter, chapter 4, the cost of redemption. And you're all invited to the wedding. And this time, the price has been paid. Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. The quick outline of the book is chapter 1 is weeping. Where there's a lot of weeping going on. There's loss after loss after loss. Chapter 2, we find that they're back in the land of Bethlehem where they need to be, but Ruth is working. This morning, it's our great Redeemer while they're waiting in chapter 3, and chapter 4 is the wedding. As we look at this text, we're looking at it through a threefold lens, exactly what the text is saying, what the text is showing us as a historical account. We're also looking at the practical application, how this applies to me, and then further at the prophetic application about God's future plans. The book is mainly about God working and fulfilling his plan, God working and fulfilling his purpose in the midst of heartache and sorrow, and yet to see his goodness was running after them, as his goodness is running after you this morning. It's about the work of God in the darkest of times, in heartache and sorrow. It speaks to people who have had no hope, who begin to see a glimmer of light, and then they see more hope and more hope culminating in the wedding, that they will not lose hope when everything goes wrong. The book focuses upon God and what he's doing in our life right now, today. God is at work, and that's the practical aspect. In our personal lives, in our family lives, in the church, in our country, and in the world, God is working out a purpose. God has a plan. He's working out a divine plan. In chapter 1, we saw that the hand of God had seemingly fallen hard upon Naomi and her family. There was a famine in Judah. They moved to Moab. There, Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons marry Moabite women. The two husbands pass away. No children are born. There's one blow after another. And Ruth says, uh, Naomi says rather, the hand of God has gone out against me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. In fact, she's so overwhelmed by the things of life, she can't see hope as it begins to appear. My wife and I love to go out in the months of February and March looking for tree buds. 
and whether we see them or not, I, I think I see a bud over there. Oh, yes, that tree's beginning to bud. We probably don't really see buds, but we like to think we see the buds. We like to see the hope because that says spring is coming. We see something's going to happen. Springtime is on its way. There's signs of hope. Naomi knows there's a God. Naomi knows that he is sovereign in the workings of men, knows that he's sovereign in the affairs of nations and personal affairs. God has lifted the famine back in Bethlehem, the house of bread. She has an amazingly devoted daughter-in-law. The Lord has preserved a kinsman of Naomi's husband who would someday marry Ruth, preserve Naomi's line. When she returns to Bethlehem, the townspeople hear her say, I went away full, I've come back empty. Everything is against me. You ever feel that way? Everything's against me. Uh, the other day, went to get something out of our freezer. And the bag broke. He said, oh, one more thing, you know. There's, there's food now all over the floor. Those are minor things in life. But she rarely felt everything was against her. She had no sense of personal responsibility. She didn't say, what is God doing? Why am I in this situation? What is God speaking? What truth is God speaking into my life at this moment, in this hour? Because God knows everything. God ultimately is in control of everything. What truth does God want to speak into my life? And as we move away from the will of God, things sometimes don't turn out the way we had planned them, and it's easy for the root of bitterness to enter in. We look at that last, uh, last time. But as we came to chapter 2 of Ruth, there's a shift in the atmosphere. It's like the windows are open and fresh air begins to blow in. And we see that the God of grace is working and his timing is perfect. He has perfect timing. He brings Ruth and Naomi back in Bethlehem to the house of bread just at the barley season. And the account of Ruth covers about 12 to 15 years, but in four chapters. Imagine trying to write your life in four chapters. No, the Holy Spirit does it. But every word here is God-breathed. Every word is important. So who cares that it was the barley season? It was important because remember we said two weeks ago, the barley season was a sign, a pointer, saying there's going to be resurrection life. Because the barley season came at the time of the feast of first fruits. Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept never to die again. So we're going to see resurrected life. So watch these little signs as we go along. Now, barley was a grain that was used to feed the animals and the very poor. It's planted in the fall, but it's the first grain to ripen in the springtime. A sign of hope. There's hope out there. And I want you today to look at the hope in your life, in the church, in the country, wherever you need that hope. What Naomi once thought was dead and dying and so painful to her is coming to life. There's going to be resurrection. And there are uh, eight uh, blessings here in the field of grace. There's the blessing of guidance. God was going to guide her into the right field at the right time. The Bible says she just happened to come. You know, things don't just happen. God has a plan. God has a purpose. 
even when the traffic is slow, or the person in front of you is driving very slowly and you say, get moving, come on. God has a plan. God has a purpose in the little things of life, in the big things of life, in everything in your life. God has it all planned out. The second blessing is always a plan of protection. Ruth was going to be protected in this field of grace. There was a protection of provision. God was providing for her, her food and the water and all that she needed for herself and for Naomi. There was a blessing of encouragement. And you mentioned it last time, and I just reiterated today, how important it is to encourage one another. I got several emails this past week from people in this church. How encouraging. Just an email, two or three sentences. We're praying for you. How can we encourage one another? Find ways to encourage one another, to love one another, and to build up one another. The blessing of encouragement. She had the blessing of fellowship. And we said last time how important it is for us to remain together in fellowship and to stay together. The blessing of acceptance and then the blessing of satisfaction. The past was forgotten. The future was hopeful. She's accepted. She's cared for. Her needs are met. And that's what happens when we come to Christ. We have all of those blessings. So the mercy of God is breaking Breaking forth in chapter 2, even Naomi sees it, the one who's called bitter. Do you know some people who are bitter? And they affect themselves, they affect other people as well, and their bitterness. And she was a bitter woman, but the light is breaking through, and she's going to see the hope, what God is going to do. When we meet Boaz, a man of wealth, and a man of worth, and a relative of Naomi's husband. Surprise, surprise. God is working. Just wait and see what he's going to do. We see Ruth taking refuge under the wings of God. We spoke about wings as we sang this morning, several times this, this morning. Uh, and Ruth is mercifully directed just to the right field at the right time. We see that Naomi is recovering from her long night of despondency. And as we spoke last time, we said, remember what God is doing. Repent where you have to repent and get moving with God. Naomi said, the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living. She began by saying, call me a bitter old woman. And now she's saying, the Lord's kindness. God is good. Do you believe that this morning? I think I heard somebody say amen. God is good. He's a good God. And he has a good plan and a good purpose. Chapter 2 is overflowing with that hope. Boaz is a God-saturated man in his business and his personal relationships. Ruth is a God-dependent woman under the wings of God. And Naomi is now a God-exalting woman under the sovereignty of God. The darkness has passed. The Almighty dealt bitterly with me, has given away to, he has not forsaken me. God is still in control. And then we meet a man here in chapter 3, again, named Boaz. He's a Korab. He's a relative. We find that he's first a relative, and then we find that he's a kinsman, and then we find that he's the kinsman redeemer. Light keeps breaking and opening. We see more and more of God's truth. And I believe that's true of the Word of God. As we read it, he reveals more and more to us. It should be new every morning, something fresh 
you know, the uh, Israelites had to pick up fresh manna, and when they stored it up, it just rotted away. So get fresh manna. Find something new and fresh daily from the Word of God. Uh, we find in chapter 2 that uh, Ruth is given her lunch. She works till sundown. She works. She returns to Naomi at the end of the day and gives her mother-in-law the leftovers plus some barley and grain. She tells her mother-in-law everything that's happened. And she was given about an ephod, a half a bushel of barley. If they had Olympics for gleaning, she would have gotten the gold medal. She gleaned more than anybody ever could have because the Lord of the harvest was making sure it happened. Do you believe the Lord of the harvest is going to make it happen in your life? In this place? The Lord of the harvest. Now, two things. Work as if everything depended upon you. Work as if everything depended upon you, but know that everything depends upon him. If you can do that, you've caught the message. Work as if everything belongs depended upon you, but he's the one. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the one that produces the fruit at the end of the day. And in chapter 2, verse 10, Ruth asked the most profound question. She fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. Ruth knows she's a Moabitess. She knows she's outside the promises, the covenant of God. From a natural viewpoint, she was very disadvantaged. She doesn't expect special treatment. And that's true of us today. Why should God love us? Because we're so lovable? Oh, hardly. He loves us because he created us, because he has a plan and a purpose for us that he's beginning now, but he's going to plan it for all of eternity. We're part of his eternal plan, part of his eternal purpose. And she fell down and said, I'm nothing. Why have I found favor? I'm down here taking refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. And that has given me the desire to leave all. I've left home. I've left my family. I've left everything. Because I'm under his wings. She's not earned the mercy, but she understands that she's a woman under the grace of God. And the Lord is looking for people who will take refuge under his wings who will leave father and mother and homeland and anything else and even our hurts and our bitternesses to leave those all behind. Why have we found grace? It's all grace. It's all grace from beginning to end. Most of us know Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It's a verse after that. The work will be accomplished with shouts of grace grace to it. Shall we sing now? We used to sing sweet hour prayer and we'll shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour prayer. I think I'm going to shout grace, grace, grace to it. It's all God's grace from beginning to end. And Ruth saw the grace of God at work in her life and it was coming back into Naomi's life. Now we're into chapter 3 and I want us to keep in mind the phrase intentional righteousness intentional righteousness the question that this chapter answers is what do a God saturated man 
a God-dependent young woman and a God-exalting older woman do when they are filled with hope in the goodness of God. What do you do when you're filled with the hope of the goodness of God? And the answer is, they manifest intentional righteousness. By righteousness, I mean a zeal for doing good, for doing what is right, for doing what is directed by the word of God, the spirit of God, to do what is fitting in line with the mind of Christ that is seen as loving and merciful. That is intention, purposeful, planning. There's kind of an inactive righteousness, you know, where we go like this, you know, we're not going to do the bad things. I'm talking about intentional righteousness, active righteousness, under the Holy Spirit, intentional righteousness discerns what is good, what is right, what is appropriate to do, and it allows us to envision what God wants to do. It allows us to see what God wants to do in our lives and beyond that. You see, it brings God-glorifying solutions. You don't sit around and mope and say, poor me, and oh, how could this happen to me, and oh, what if, and all those things. It's God-glorifying solutions the confidence that since God is for us, you know the rest, who can be against us? And you have that mindset, that spirit set. You'll see what God wants to do. It's a thrilling impulse to understand that. We see it in Naomi, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Intentional righteousness. We see it in Ruth in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9, and then we see it in Boaz in 10 to 15. Two things stand out about Naomi's strategy here. Let me read you the first few verses of chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall not I seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women were with us, is he not our Koath, a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, and he will tell you what you shall do. And Ruth said, all that you say, I will do. Two things stand out here about Naomi's strategy. One, she has a strategy. She has a plan. And secondly, it tells us what her plan is. People who feel like victims seldom make plans. As long as Naomi was oppressed and depressed, as long as she would, could say, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me, she couldn't make any plans. She couldn't see what God was doing. Bitterness affected her, it affected others round about her. One of the terrible effects of depression and bitterness is the inability to see and to plan. If you know people who are bitter, if you know people who are depressed, they can't really plan. They don't want to look to the future. But now she has a strategy, intentional righteousness, because hope is awakening. She sees the buds on the trees. She sees the loving kindness of God. Her hope has come alive. And the overflow is intentional righteousness. She's concerned about finding a place for Ruth, 
of provision, of peace, and of protection. And so Naomi makes a plan. And one of the reasons we need each other is to give each other hope. Psalm 52, uh, 42, hope in God, for I will yet praise him. We need each other. We need to encourage each other so we can have that hope. We can know that hope. When we get in those situations where we don't feel quite so hopeful. Because only hopeful people, only hopeful families, only hopeful churches plan intentional righteousness. And yet we must not say, God, here's our plan, please bless it. We need to say, God, what is your plan? The plan that you will bless. You see the distinction? Lord, here's what I'd like to do. Here's what we should do. I know. And what, uh, no. Would you bless that? No. You say, God, what is your plan? The plan that you're going to bless. What is it you want to do that you will bless that we can be a part of intentionally doing that? Only hopeful people, hopeful families, and hopeful churches plan and strategize in the Holy Spirit. So the loving kindness of God was hovering over them. Do you sense the loving kindness of God hovering over you this morning? Somebody said yes. You feel the, the loving kindness of God hovering over you, over this place this morning, bringing hope, whatever he wants to do. So Naomi wants a place of rest. That's the word in, in verse 1, rest. She wants... Ruth to get settled down. We talk about being settled down, settled in, a place of rest. Uh, women during the end of pregnancy often go through a, a nesting instinct. Maybe you can uh, identify with that. That word rest is rest and contentment and peace. What I'm not saying is that being a wife and a mother is restful. Don't, don't misunderstand me, women. I understand. It's not. But there's a contentment and a peacefulness doing what God created you to do and to be. We meet Boaz here in verse 2. Boaz, in him is strength. That's his name. He's a modus tantum here. He's a relative. He's not quite the redeemer or the kinsman redeemer, but he will later be identified as that goel. The barley season is over. They do the winnowing at night because the, the breeze comes up at nighttime. Remember this takes place during the era of the judges. And if you remember a message on Gideon a few months ago, what happened? The Midianites would come down with all their camels and swoop away all the grain. I think that's probably why Boaz was sleeping out that night, protecting his field, protecting his grain. So uh, we meet Boaz here, verse uh, 3. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Okay, Ruth, here's the plan. Get dressed up, get cleaned up, take, you know, take a bath, put on perfume, put on your best dress. Perhaps up to this point, she had been wearing her, her widow weeds uh, to identify that she was a, a widow. So get ready, get prepared. Take off the garment of the past. And I suggest this morning, if you're holding on to something from the past, would you take it to the cross? Take off the garments of the past. 
take off the things of the past, the past hurts and failures and regrets and disappointments. And what if we can't go back with any of our life? But we have today and we have tomorrow. We need to live in the now and in the future. Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press forward. Every day you can wake up and say, God has given us one more day. But I'd also say, God has given us one less day. Getting closer. So if you're not a Christ follower, a new creation in Christ by redemption, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And you come to the Savior just as you are. But if you're a believer, here's the big but. If you're a believer, when you come to Christ in prayer, when you come together to worship, let's come prepared. I call it the three Ps, personal prior preparation. Individually, as we come in, in prayer, as we come to worship, we need to individually be prepared. Before, prepared. Our heart needs to be clean. Our relationships need to be right with one another. Personal prior preparation. Last night I laid out my suit. My wife picked out the tie. Personal prior preparation. A small part. That's, not, that's a physical part. But come spiritually prepared with personal prior preparation. Because we're coming to the king. We're coming to the Lord of the harvest. She was going to go to the Lord of the harvest, Boaz. And she had to be prepared. Let's be prepared as we gather together. So, it's salvation come as you are. You can't clean yourself up. Jesus will do that. But once you're saved, once you're a believer or a Christ follower, you've repented, you have faith in Christ, you've received him, then we need to come prepared as God's people. The instructions in verse 4 uh, suggest nothing improper is being suggested here. It's public, it's in the field, it's at night. Nothing improper is being suggested. She says that Boaz is a relative, therefore he's a likely candidate for being Ruth's husband. That way the family and the inheritance will continue on and you'll have a godly husband, a secure future, and will preserve the family line. So she was told that, Ruth was told that Boaz would be sleeping at the threshing floor. And she said, just stay and sleep quietly. When you hear the, him snoring, you can tell he's sleeping, you'll hear it. Just uncover his feet a little bit. His feet will get cold and he'll wake up. And so Ruth uncovered his feet on the threshing floor, the public place. Both, Ruth, both Boaz and Ruth were individuals who honored God, carefully honored him. And the answer here in verse 5, what she's to do, she said, all that he says, do it. When you're, remember, Boaz here is a type of Christ. When you're at the feet of Jesus, listen. We sometimes talk so much, we don't get to hear at the feet of Jesus. What is he saying to me? Remember the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3? What the Spirit is saying to the churches. We have to listen to what God is saying to us individually and collectively at the feet of Jesus. I think of uh, Jesus over in John chapter 2, the wedding of Cain of Galilee. And they run out of the beverage drink. 
And Mary goes to the servants and says, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Whatsoever he's saying to you, do it. I think of uh, Peter when he had been fishing all night long. Caught nothing. They come into shore, Jesus is there, and Jesus says, cast the net on the other side. I can imagine what thoughts I would have had if I was a fisherman. I worked all night long, and you're telling me what to do? And Peter said, we've toiled all night, nevertheless, at your word, because you said it. That's the voice we hear. Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're all gone. They're left behind. And Peter's kind of saying, let's, let's do something special here. And Jesus said, there's only one voice you need to hear. There's only one voice. You need to hear the voice of Jesus at his feet. All right, going on to the, the next part of it, our intentional uh, in verses 6 and following. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had instructed her. Daughter-in-laws, listen to that. She listened to her mother-in-law. She did everything her mother-in-law said. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he lay, uh, lay down at the end of his heap of grain, and she uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, he was startled and turned to himself. She said, there's a woman who's laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? Who is there? And she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Up to now, she's been saying, I am Ruth the Moabitess, your servant. She's dropped that for the time being. I am your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wings. We sang a couple songs about wings this morning. That word literally there is take me under your wings. Boaz awakens. Uh, there's no nightlight, no candles, no flashlight. He didn't even have his cell phone with him. But he knows there's a woman resting at his feet, perhaps the perfume or whatever. And the answer is, I am your servant. And she lay at the feet of Jesus for his servant. She invokes grace. She identifies herself by name. And in essence, she says, Boaz, marry me. <laughs> marry me, Boaz. That's what she's saying. She's saying, extend the border of your mantle over me. Your wing, the word is for wing. Now remember the wing? Under whose wing she came to trust? And Boaz basically is saying, because you take refuge under the wings of God, you're the kind of woman I can take under my wing. It's so important to preserve the context here. Under your wing. You're under God's wing and you want to come under my wing. The other place that we find the strain of wings is over in uh, Ezekiel. And it occurs in, uh, in relationship to God and Israel. And it says, when I passed you by again and I saw you, behold, you were at the age of love. And I spread the corner of my garment. I spread my wings over you and covered you and made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, because you are mine. The Jewish custom is to cover the bride with 
uh, the talit or the fringe garment, a token of authority and obligation. She was coming under his authority and she was going to have an obligation to him and he was going to protect her. The fringe on a Jewish male's garment are called wings. The woman who wanted to touch the hem of his garment literally wanted to touch Jesus' wings. She got down to touch the hem, to touch the wings, to come under his authority, to come under his protection. Remember Malachi 4? The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. We don't picture Jesus with wings, do we? Under, under his authority, under his protection, under his power, how powerful this is, what Ruth is doing with Boaz, coming under his authority. And that's what we need to continually do, come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 tells us that Boaz was uh, very pleased with this. He said, who are you? Uh, and she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for all that you request I will do. For all the people of the town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true I am a close relative, verse 12. However, there's a relative closer than I. Stay this night, in the morning it shall be. If that closer relative will perform the duties of a kinsman redeemer, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform it, I will perform it. As the Lord lives, rest till morning. Boaz was overwhelmed at the prospect. He explained, though, that there was somebody closer, closer in line to be the kinsman redeemer uh, for Ruth and for Naomi. Yes, I am a next of kin. She's no longer a relative. I'm a next of kin. It's moving closer. But let's move forward with the intentional righteousness here. Let's go down to verse uh, 10, 11, 12. He blesses her. Uh, you're a kind woman. You're a virtuous woman. Here's a man who's waking up. He's probably labored all day with uh, others in the field. He's waking up, kind of startled. There's a woman at his feet. Remember Adam when he woke up? He found out he was married. <laughs> well, Boaz finds out he's almost married when he wakes up. There's a woman at his feet, but spontaneously he knows this woman. He knows her. She's a virtuous woman. She's known, everybody knows it. Uh, remember the kinsman redeemer had to have three things. He had to have the means. It was a fiduciary ability. He had to be able to. Jesus Christ, the one who was able to save us because he was the sinless son of God. He had to be willing. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he had to act. He went to Calvary for us. And so uh, Boaz here has the ability. He has the willingness but he's not next in line. But they make all of the agreements privately. All of the arrangements for our salvation were made in the counsel of God before the foundation of the world. God knew you. God knew October 22, 2023, before we ever thought about it. 
because it had all, it all planned in the counsel of God. Now, it was done publicly, and we'll see the marriage will be public next time we get back to this in, uh, in November. The counsel, God has it all together. He's put it all together just the way uh, Naomi and Boaz are doing uh, together here with Ruth. Intentional righteousness, uh, self-control. He says, there's somebody else, but I won't stop until it's done. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He's fulfilled the law perfectly. The only way we could have been saved is having never sinned, never broken the law. It's never happened, it never will happen with a man, except the man Christ Jesus. And so that, the law was fulfilled, and I believe that's the, the other redeemer who's mentioned here. The law was powerful, or powerless to justify, to save, to redeem. So Jesus came and settled it with the law, said the law has been fulfilled, I have fulfilled the law, and now I can redeem my people. And Jesus did not rest until it was finished. Uh, verse 15, we see here what uh, Boaz does. Uh, Ruth is about to leave. He says, bring the saw that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. That's what's called getting good with the mother-in-law. I'm going to give you all this barley. You go on home. Take it home to Naomi. Now, the last section here is verse 16 and 17 and 18. When she came to her mother-in-law, her mother-in-law said, Is that you, my daughter? Let me tell you, Naomi is not having a senior moment. Okay? She didn't forget who Ruth was. She just was saying, what happened? Are you Mrs. Boaz? Did, did my plan really work? Did it come together for you? Perhaps there was a radiance or a glow upon uh, Ruth's face, but have you changed your name? And she told her all that was done, and she said, these six ephods of barley he gave me, six being the number of man, a number of completion here, Verse 18, and she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. What wisdom there? Sit still. I'd rather do anything than sit still. It's hard for me to sit still. This is the best advice I think uh, Naomi ever gives. Sit still. Wait. Wait upon God. Be still and know that he is God. Stop the striving. Stop the struggling. Stop the strain. Wait. Wait upon God. God who began a good work will complete it. And God is working. Sometimes the best thing we can do is simply... Be still and know that he is God. He's on the throne, not us. Be still and know that he is God. The Lord sometimes works in us. He sometimes works for us. And he sometimes works through us. He sometimes works for us. Only things that he can do. And there are only some things that only God can do. So let's let him do those things. 
Sometimes he works in us, allowing us, by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit, through in intentional righteousness, to solve the problem, to address the issues. And sometimes he works through us to help others, to encourage others, to minister to others. He completed the work of redemption on the cross. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's preparing a home in heaven for us. And one day he's going to take us to be his bride. Do you see the connection with Boaz here, what's going on? He's going to complete the work of redemption. He's going to make intercession. He's going to talk. He's going to figure out what needs to be done, what the next steps are. He's preparing a home. And he's going to take the bride home. Ruth at the feet of Boaz. And us as believers at the feet of Jesus. Ruth was accepted at the feet of Jesus. We're accepted, covered by his grace. Ruth at the feet of Boaz was blessed. He said, blessed are you. Don't fear. At the feet of Jesus, as believers, we're blessed. There's no fear. Ruth at the feet of Boaz has completed a story. You can rest because I'm going to take care of it. Isn't that great? Whatever you're carrying today, whatever the burden is, at the feet of Jesus. I'll take care of it. Get rid of your backpack. Lay it down. Leave it here at the cross. I'll take care of it. And I won't rest until it's finished. And now he ever lives to make intercession. Boaz went out and made intercession. Where are we this morning? Are we at the feet of Jesus? And we can just lay those burdens down. And don't, don't take them out with you this morning. Lay it down for a few minutes and get in the car and start all over again. Leave it with Jesus. Just covered by his grace, under his feathers, holding on to his wings, his promises, his authority, his protection in our lives, knowing that we're blessed with the words, do not fear, fear not. Have assurance that he will complete the work. God is at work. And he will complete it. And as we sang, all the goodness of God, all the mercies of God are here for us today. He won't withhold anything because he's now ever living and he's praying for you and you and you. He's praying for each of us. Let's accept his grace, his mercies, his blessings, his provision. Realize that we are accepted in the beloved, accepted as we are, and accept that he has a plan and a wonderful provision for us. Come back next week, of course. We'll come back in two weeks for the wedding. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you, Father, that you have made such wonderful provisions. That you've led us to fields of grace, You've led us in your mercy, Lord. You've uh, allowed us to experience things in life just exactly the way we would have planned it had we seen what you're doing in our lives. Not one thing, Lord, would we have changed because you are a good and gracious God and you are covering us with your love and your mercy and your grace. Father, at the foot of the cross, we just want to kneel this morning and lay down the things that we're carrying that we no longer have to carry. We just leave them there, Lord. 
and know that you will take care of it, whatever it is. And then give us intentional righteousness to move forward, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.